Welcome to another episode of the Reboot Chronicles, a no-holds-barred forum with global leaders, authors, entrepreneurs, and CEOs about how organizations stay focused on growth and innovation in unprecedented times. I'm your host, Dean Tobias, coming to you live from Revive's North American headquarters in Chicago, and we would like to thank you for joining us from around the globe today. I'd like to welcome Tom Deerline, a Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient and retired U.S. Army major. On this Veterans Day in the U.S., I'm honored to have Tom. He's a West Point graduate who's also an Airborne Ranger and a Wounded Warrior, an Angel Investor, and of course, a serial entrepreneur, as many of you know him. Tom was recently named an ENY Entrepreneur of the Year and is CEO of Thundercat, a cool company we'll talk about here in a little bit, which he has built into over a half a billion dollar systems integrator uh, business. As many of you know, that is not an easy task. But unlike most of us, Tom, at the ripe age of actually an old age, I think they would call it in the military of 38, he had another call of duty that took him to the front lines of Iraq. Unfortunately, a sniper cut his uh, service short a bit. So he not only had to learn how to walk again, but he had to reboot his business and his personal life as he re-entered the civilian world. Tom, thanks for joining us. No, it's, yeah. it's a joy. I'm looking forward to chatting. These are always fun. It's good to see you on uh, Veterans Day, though it is a U.S. holiday. Not, uh, not all of our listeners know what that is, but it's a critical, pivotal day here. And, um, you know, you're, you have, I, I should say, you are leading a remarkable life. And, you know, we would usually jump right into what you're doing now and, you know, how Thundercat's going and how have you rebooted that company and, quite frankly, the industry. Uh, but I'd love to take a step back and maybe take us through your journey from, you know, you're a successful business uh, leader in your young age into, you know, a military leader on the streets of Sadr City uh, and um, in and around uh, Baghdad, and um, especially at the ripe age of 38. So maybe you could just back us up a little bit and tell us about that journey. I think you you misspoke there. It's ripe old age of 38. So, I mean, you, you back it up a little bit. Is You know, I was 13 when I decided I want to go to West Point, which is, which is wow. interesting because I was at a football game, saw the parade, the honor code, and I thought going in the Army was the bonus. I thought that was the reward, not the, not the payback. <laughs> so I did go in. I, I went to West Point, infantry, airborne, ranger. In fact, I went to the Berlin Brigade um, right after the wall came down. Wow. In fact, I was in ranger school recycling that is a rare honor it it was and it was a it was an an incredible three years because i was there for reunification and we we could do a whole session on on that time and an important part of history for for europe and the world um but then i i decided to get out and i remember my old boss saying well wait tom you love this stuff and i did i loved it but it wasn't what i wanted to do for a living so now i was 26 living the life that a 13 year old had made, right? Like go to West Point, go in the army for five years, get out and become a successful business executive. And I didn't know what that was, right? My dad, I lived, I grew up in White Plains, New York. My dad got on the train, went, went into the city, came back, there was macaroni and cheese on the table, right? So, but I decided I'll, I'll try sales, right? Every company exists to sell a product or service. And so I started a career in sales. Uh, I started knocking out an, an MBA part-time at night. And I found myself wanting to go to smaller and smaller and smaller companies. And so that's where my career sort of went. You know, I started off the U.S. Army, the the U.S. government, the largest employer in the United States. And I went to Johnson & Johnson, a Fortune 25, right? Um, Then I went to Parametric Technology Corporation out of of Boston, right? So there's a mid-cap company. Then I went to NetGravity and took place in that whole dot-com uh, error. And then I went to a company that had seven folks. And, you know, 
at that point now, I am in my uh, early 30s, and I helped grow that company, Dynamic Logic, which was co-founded by Ronita Aviv and, and Nick Nyan. Oh, yeah. Grew that for five years, and then we sold it to WPP, one of the largest um, marketing services holding companies in the world. Now we're to that part of the story, right? We had just sold it. I get a, I, so I get out in 1993. Mm -hmm. I have a business career for 12 years. I wasn't in the reserves. I wasn't in the National Guard. I was in something called the IRR, Individual Ready Reserves. Well, I got a note uh, in the mail said, you're being called back to duty for a year and a half. And I was like, uh, that's odd. You know, they, they got the wrong guy, you know? After yeah, phone check, calls, check my age for gosh sake. Yeah, too. like, I was like, <laughs> Deer Line, Delta, Echo, India, Echo, Romy. They're like, yeah, I go 38. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, I'm like, I'm an old man with a bad back and a beer belly. They're like, I'll see you at Fort, we'll Fort take Bragg, it. you know? <laughs> so, well, but I did go and serve. Um, and as you pointed out, uh, so I went, I trained up for six months of welcome back training and I, I did civil affairs. So I wasn't, you know, kicking down doors and chasing bad guys. I was doing reconstruction, economic development, governance, a lot of humanitarian aid, which ties into a story I'm going to have. And in September of 06, I was shot by a sniper. Uh, I'm Catholic and got last rights. I mean, it was, it was close. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then I spent the next seven and a half months at Walter Reed and then James A. Haley VA Poly Trauma Center doing recovery and rehab. So almost eight months. And then I retired for good from the military in, in May of 2007 and went back to my civilian career, back to my business career. Right. Maybe we could pick up there. So, um, Maybe a little perspective just to tie this now into the audience and, and business. Obviously, a lot of vets can resonate to your story. And um, I think many people um, have just kind of lost their step in their career, either mid-journey or late, uh, like the boomers, um, or some of them early. You know, a lot of people just trying to figure out, should I even do this anymore? And others are being forced out, whether they're bounced out of a corporate or an organization, even government organization. So many of them are finding it hard to reboot themselves, kind of to get that next gig. And um, we have a program called the Reboot Fellows, where we help early, mid, and late career people kind of refocus and reboot themselves. And uh, it's very—it's a volunteer type of uh, um, position. And for example, one reboot might be from large companies to small, something I'm a big fan of and early coach people through that, and you've done it. Um, so Tom, I just think part of your journey can really provide some perspective for people that are trying to reboot their life and their career right now, kind of in the, in the 2022 era. Uh, things have changed and uh, a lot of people I think need different advice what let's say you and how does some of your perspective kind of come forward now for, to this uh, this generational issue from boomers yeah, so, to, to, and, to and I have found myself giving that advice to quite a few bit few folks and recently right because once we we're out 20 years from West Point so that's the first group of people that have spent their entire lives since they were 18 to let's call it 41 42 in the military, then they call you up and they're like, what am I going to do? And that's what I had that reboot, but I was at 26. So that was the first time I really found myself talking to other people about a hardcore, like you've been in the military for 20 years. Now, what am I going to do? And you coach them. Well, let me that. rephrase, let me rephrase the question. Yeah. You've had two, two reboots. This is good. Cause a lot of people I talk to just, just hundreds. Um, so, you know, they say, I've got, I've got a bad, I can't do it. I can't shift. I can't reboot personally. And, um, you know, you spent a year in Walter Reed rehabilitating. And uh, they originally said, I think you 
I think they told you you'd never walk again initially. It's yeah. always uh, always a terrible thing to hear. So, yeah, th- that is a really good uh, perspective. So how did you you know reboot yourself mentally, and then from a business reentry leadership mode? You know, you had some connected tissue to it from the past, but you were lying on your back for a long time. Yeah, I mean, the, again, the advice that I give to, to people that are doing like a, a career transition, whether it's mid-career, late career, because again, I'm now 54. So we're now that senior executive that can no longer be afforded. We, we'd rather hire somebody half your age to do, or two people half your age to do your job for half of what we're paying you. Exactly. I, I think that it, you always, it's the same advice that you would give to a college kid, right? Like, hmm. what are you good at, right? Mm-hmm. More importantly, what do you enjoy doing? Because if you enjoy doing it, you'll eventually be good at it, right? Um, and then where where is the intersection of those things? And I think the, the only other thing that I would say for people looking at a hardcore forced reboot is go get a job. It doesn't have to be your career job, but, but life is easier when the cash register is ringing and, and you can have a two-year three-boot reboot. You can have an 18-month plan or a three-year plan where you go to get your master's at night and you go take some regular job. Um, and it's just a job, not a career, not, not, it's just part of your reboot. So I don't know what different advice, I haven't listened to some of the other folks you've talked to, but do what you can to keep that cash register ringing, right? Swallow your ego and go take a job that gives you healthcare and some kind of money so that you're not burning through savings that you can cover your expenses. Um, and I think mentally and, and logistically and financially, you'll be in a better position to go take classes, go get education, spend two hours a night reading white papers, right? Yep. So if you remember the graduate, maybe I'm dating myself here, right? He <laughs> turns to Dustin Hoffman, he says, one word, plastics. You know, well, for me, those, those words our, are- Our producer has no idea what you're talking about. Right, like drone, one word for you, son, drone, <laughs> right? Like, cause that's a nascent, stage right or go into cyber right because even if you get in now you figure you're getting in late but you're still at the tip of the iceberg of an an industry and a capability that's gonna going to grow but i i honestly dean i wish i had some some you know earth-shattering advice it's like what do you enjoy doing and what are you good at what do you enjoy doing and what are you good at? And, and that should be the direction that you start to pivot. And then when you look at the gap between what you'd like to be doing and where you're at today, which could be a hard, literally the, the definition of a reboot is to shut down all systems and restart. Where's the gap? And then yeah. you yeah. can't, you don't have to fill that gap overnight. All right, I need to go get some certification. I need to go get some training. I need to go get some experience. Are you willing to go from a VP level to an individual contributor to get your foot in the door at an industry? And that's that's the advice that I would give someone. You know, that's where a lot of the hangup is. Our Reboot Fellows program, it's all volunteerism, of course. But for the for the post-career or later career people, there some of them are just doing it for fun and they want the connections and the next gig. Some of them are just they're a little bit more desperate. So you just describe that. It's 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 like how can they kind of come up with a bridge? So we like put them into all different types of volunteer roles, where it's like, you know, working as a mentor at 1871, the incubator in Chicago that we started or whatever it is, but I also advise people to do that while they are working. But it's interesting. Um, anytime I post jobs- Right, take you well before you're thirsty. And yeah, people exactly. do find themselves well, without well. that strong network, or they realize that, oh my goodness, those 50 people that loved hanging out with me all the time, yep, 
they didn't love me. They loved my role and my access to budget. Right. Your expense account. Exactly. Right. Like, you know, so I think that, you know, you do have to be honest with yourself, but again, don't panic. You know, no. we're going to talk about lessons that I took from the military, even when I got shot or even when I had to reboot my entire life and career, stay calm, right? Like don't panic. And, and maybe that's that, maybe that's what I'm saying. Like having that job, you go into Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? If, if you're at least doing something every day, Excellent. you say, sure. I'm going to spend three hours a night doing the job search, the career development, going to school at night, but don't leave yourself without health care and keep the cash register ringing. Yeah, three things I tell uh, students at Kellogg is I've got a little lecture about finding your purpose and I tell them it's a trap. You can't, it's a fleeting thing. It's momentarily, you have purpose as it comes and goes. But it's balancing three things, fun, money, and impact. Very similar to year two. And that is a hard thing to do when you're doing, you did a hard reboot lying in your back at Walter Reed. Some, some people just, as you just said, just have to kind of do a soft one and move into the next thing. And especially if they're a leader, um, I'd love to get your perspectives on leadership, especially leaders that need to impact, I call them BFSs, big, fat, slow organizations. You work with them constantly in government and most major corporations are BFSs. And what we um, at Kellogg do is we help them focus on three things, people, platform, and passion. So I, th I just thought maybe we'd touch on the passion part with you. You know, um, you, you have said one of the cool things that you like to do is write down and actually publish your leadership um, style or mantra or rules, I forgot what you call it, but what, what's the importance of writing it down and I guess publishing it? So a personal leadership philosophy. So I, it, if we're gonna talk about leadership, I, let me back yeah. up and then I will answer your question, I sure. promise, yeah. which is, I think anyone looking to study leadership should look at the 11 principles of leadership put out by the United States Army. It was originally published in 1946. Mm -hmm. If you go to boot camp tomorrow in the Marines, the Air Force, the Army, the Navy, you will be taught these same 11. And I'll, it's, I'll give you one, one. I used to do a, a leadership course and I'd say, if anyone can give me a 12th that's not on this list, I'll buy you a steak dinner. Now someone did, so I'll give you number 12. But here they are. Know yourself and seek self-improvement. Be technically and tactically proficient. Seek responsibility and take responsibility for your actions. That's my favorite. Set the example. Know your people and look out for their welfare. Keep your people informed. Ensure the task is understood, supervised, and accomplished. Number eight, develop a sense of responsibility among your people. Nine, train your people as a team. Make sound and timely decisions. And finally, 11, employ your work unit in accordance with its capabilities. So since we don't have time for the back and forth, I put this out, I put this out over and over, over a period of years. Mm -hmm. And finally, some guy goes, innovate. <laughs> and so number 12 i would add if the army would let me would be to, to innovate continue to improve your organization and innovate so now, in the way that right. they, they do things um, it's funny it's funny those, those, those 11 philosophy i mean those 11 rules they got us through world war ii so they're they're not stupid things and they carry through us today so so whether you're an old leader or a new leader i like yeah. to pull this out once a month and be like how did i do this month and then if you fall short Get back on that horse. Don't say, oh, well, I'm a crappy leader. Just this is a good measuring stick. It's a good starting point for anyone that aspires to be a leader or anyone that's a CEO. Pull this 11 out and ask yourself, how am I doing against this standard? What ways could I and should I improve? In terms of a personal leadership philosophy, 
Um, having it written down, it's like goals. Like if you write down a goal, you're seven times more likely to accomplish that goal. When you write down a personal leadership philosophy, I think it, it, it forces you to lead purposefully, not find my purpose, but like yeah. you lead intentionally. Yeah. And people know, what do you stand for? What are my principles? What can you expect of me as your leader? What do I expect from you? How will we operate together? And what, you know, what are my pet peeves, right? Here are the things, please do not do these days, make me very anxious or angry. And then here are some things that are unacceptable. Those are my favorite, the, by the way. And that's sort of the, the outline, right? Like, who am I? What are my values? What can you expect of me? What do I expect of you? How are we going to operate? What are my pet peeves? And what are my will not accept? Like, these are fireable offenses. And then, you know, this points people to how we will work together successfully. Mm -hmm. You don't have to guess. You've eliminated a ton of friction and guesswork and lack of clarity. So writing down the way that you intend to lead is good for them. And it's good for you because it's sort of like a contract, right? You've written it down, you've shared it with them physically. And then I like to sit and talk with them. Every new employee at Thundercat sits with me for an hour. We chat, we get to know each other. And I close by reviewing with them again, my personal leadership philosophy. That's brilliant, That's brilliant by brilliant. the way. Um, most people don't publish their pet peeves and it comes up over and over and over again. I can't tell you how many times where I'll be like, so, <laughs> and they know I'm irritated. They just don't know why. I just probably never told them. I just love the transparency, the full disclosure of it. I know you've, like me, have you know probably hijacked things from other leadership books over the years because that's what life is about and making them better. But I just like the clarity and the visibility and the uh, maybe the simplicity of it too. Publishing it. No, though. and and, and publishing I have it. If guys are looking, just type in personal leadership philosophy, dear liner. Oh yeah. How, why you should have your own personal leadership philosophy, and it'll walk you through how to do it. And one of the things that I do tell people, <laughs> Dean, is if you see another example, grab it. But it has to be in your voice. You don't grab something like. You couldn't, I couldn't send you mine, Dean, and you read it to a group because they wouldn't, it's not you. But like one of the things, having helped a hundred different people write theirs, mm -hmm. I don't know, this is three years ago, some, somebody said, embrace the fact that we're all counting on you. Mm, that's oh, powerful. I Whoa. cut and pasted that right into my own personal leadership philosophy. It's okay to grab from others as long as it's, it is your voice. Like, you feel the pressure of that statement too? That's a, that's a heavy me, one. Book. I had one person wrote, she said, you know, come to me if you need help with your problems or come to me if you just want me to listen. Mm. Well, I couldn't put that in my personal leadership. I'm a horrible listener, right? Like that's a weakness that I'm working on. So it, it wouldn't, it would, you know, would, would, wouldn't resonate with people. They wouldn't, you know, so BS, don't be intimidated, folks. There's, there's plenty of samples out there. Get out there and just... How do you intend to lead? And you'll, it's a it, don't have to do it in, in, in one sitting. Do it over the course of a couple of weeks or even a couple of months to figure out how you personally want to lead. And it needs to be real and true to your spirit, but it also needs to scale. So it's like, don't come to me with all of your problems because I can't, I can't, can't deal with it all. It's too much. So let's set up a, a lot of people talk about that. They talk about I have an open door, but when you bring me I a don't problem. Believe it. Give me yep. two options, right? So a lot of people do address that in a personal issue. That's, that's, that's a good way to scale. Send me two options and I'll click the box. No, we're not doing a survey here. People sometimes, you know, you need to talk. And that, that by the way, over the last two years, uh, you know, now we're going into 22 is, uh, has been an issue. People having but, but real conversations. Let's, let's bring this back. Yeah, please. For people that are going to reboot, 
That is a phenomenal exercise. What are my values? How do I like to work or lead, right? Like, who do I want to be around? What do, how do I want to spend my days? How do I want to have fun, make money, and, and have impact, right? If, fun, if, money, if, impact, yep. But it's like, it, 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 it's a good exercise to study who you are. What are your values? How do you like to operate? And what are the things that you enjoy doing could point you towards your reboot direction if you're a little lost? You know, one of the things I tell people, not just students, because our students are like 30 years old, so they're exactly where you were when you're rebooting, but fun money and impact comes together in a Venn diagram, typical business school. But, you know, I made it up years ago just for myself. And the center, everyone thinks that's where you find your purpose, and that's absolutely false. It's a fleeting moment. It's the connected tissue between the three that kind of moves around. And what I tell people to do is like, you can't get all of that at work or in your life or in your marriage or even what you're doing for church or volunteerism. So you need to pick little projects around the wheel that help you get a stronger sense of purpose on a monthly basis, a yearly basis, whatever. Don't just say, this is me. This is where I found purpose. So you've done that. But I didn't get, when I was laying in the hospital bed, like, and I say to people, I I, often joke out, I do call myself Tom 2.0. So that plays into Uh, the reboot, the reboot (laughs) thing. But I say, you know, look, Tom 1.0 wasn't an ogre. But again, you spend seven months in a hospital with a lot of downtime thinking about life yeah. um, and, and being given a second chance, right? I, you know, I joke around every day is a holiday, every meal is a feast. You get that close to death and you just, but in terms of, for, for, for people that might be listening, right? Like it's, it, 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 I just became more patient right? I just decided that I was going to be less selfish and more focused on helping others. And, and I didn't say, oh, well, my new purpose in life is to do this. I just said, here are the things of my character that I, I need to work on. Here, here's how I'm going to be better. Here's how Tom 2.0 is going to be better. And look, it, Tom 1.0 still sneaks in. I still get road rage when I see crazy drop. But yep. this version is more patient more giving, more focus on helping other people than I am on myself. That's that, that just, that happened as part of my reboot. I love that. Is that why you started the TD Foundation? The, the thing, yeah, it's interesting you talk about TD, but the TD Foundation actually started prior to me getting shot. The, the way that it worked out is I was doing a lot of humanitarian aid in Iraq and Afghanistan. And so people in the digital media industry started shipping me humanitarian aid. Uh, school supplies, children's vitamins, toys, clothes, shoes. Um, and we had originally, we're going to start do a fundraiser. Bill Flatley, Sean Finnegan, and, and Paul Bremer in the digital media industry mm-hmm. did a fundraiser in the fall of 2006 at the Forbes Gallery. It was set up for October. I got shot in September. So when all the checks came rolling in from that day, they were made out to Tom Deerline or Tom Deerline Foundation. So I opened a checking account and it became the the TD Foundation. Nice. Um, and originally we were helping kids in Iraq and Afghanistan. Like we shipped right. over $100,000 of school supplies, over 50,000 of children's vitamins, you know, uh, tons and tons of, of clothes. And we did 50 life-saving surgeries. But there's an organization we had to reboot, right? Because forces were going down, the missions in those, in, in, in Iraq and Afghanistan were changing. Um, during the uh, uh, Obama administration. And there were just fewer soldiers for us to ship and work with. 
And at the same time, we became aware that there was a huge need for the children of wounded warriors right here in the US. And so in 2013, we did a reboot of the TD Foundation and we moved away from helping the children in Iraq and Afghanistan. Logistically, it just became untenable and started helping and partnering with other nonprofits here in the US to help the children of wounded warriors and fallen heroes. Yep. And that's what we've been doing for the past seven years now. Yeah, and for, yeah. Those, uh, for those listening, the reason he started helping uh, children in other countries is that was his, his military assignment. He was doing humanitarian yes. aid. So it's a, it's a brilliant example of a reboot. It's really nice. Um, you, you've rebooted Thundercat probably a couple times as well. I mean, you started that from scratch and now you're, you know, over half a billion in, uh, in bookings through all the bar channels and the government relies on you pretty heavily. Did, did that start when you um, actually got out or were you already kind of playing with the idea or was, was that? It was actually the idea of some other folks. Like my, oh. my ticket to the dance was not my stunning good looks or, or charm or, or intellect. My, my ticket to that dance was my injury. Uh, there was yeah. a group of guys down in, in DC and they had started a services company and when they were in and around the data center, so providing people to do all the daily care, feeding, babysitting. But while they were there, people were trying to buy product from them and they didn't want to be a product reseller. So they approached me and, and said, hey, would you be interested in, in purchasing this business? So it, it wasn't your classic, let's go in a garage, let's max out our credit cards and take out. All right, you're still a co-founder, that counts. I got a bit of, I got a, bit of a, a running start. I bought the you, product group. Go ahead. You took the risk. Yeah, I mean, and... I was blessed with, with uh, four very talented and smart co-founders. Um, but in terms, well, there's a reboot, right? I bought them out in 2015, so now I own it. The, the reboot, we've pivoted or we've shifted, but I don't think we've ever really rebooted that organization. So if you look at what we started doing in 2008, yeah. we're still basically doing that same thing today. Yeah, you're a VAR. For those of you that won't get too geeky here, value-added resellers, uh, a lot of corporations buy through VARs because there's real value-added there. How do you actually differentiate yourself? Because there are tens of thousands of VARs. There's hundreds of them attacking every branch of the government in this country. What do you, what's the secret there for you guys? Well, there's a couple of things, right? You, you point out the first one, which is market. You know, when we talk with classic business school, what is your business idea? And then what niche? Or, are you going broad market? Uh -huh. Are you going... Focus. Good. Our market is the federal government, right? They have special programs, set aside programs for small businesses, minority owned uh, businesses, women owned small business, veteran owned, disabled veteran owned small business get a 3% set aside. So there's certain contracts where only other disabled vets. So now you go from 10,000 bars, valuated resellers, we resell other people's technology in and around the data center. You go from 10,000 that are allowed to compete to 100. Okay, that's still a lot of competitors in a fairly commoditized business. How we differentiate is through our people. And it's so cliche, right? Like, well, what, what makes us special? <laughs> it's true for us, right? Like we don't manufacture anything. We don't design anything. So we're doing, doing something right. Our talented folks are our sales account, account managers that can work with and understand problems and our engineers. We're on the Tech Elite 250 year over year and, and we're only 107 folks, right? Think, the Tech Elite 250 is these people that have certifications across cloud and storage and networking and cyber. And to me, that's the role of a, of, a, of a bar. You need to know all the platforms and what all works well together. My engineers are unmatched and my sales reps are unmatched. I call it an all-star only model. Um, and I wish I could say it was something more clever or more differentiated, but like that's how we decide to build our business.
this. We would go find the Wayne Gretzky, Shaquille O'Neal, or Derek Jeter of Fed IT and be like, instead of working for them, you're now going to come work for us. And we built this team of all stars. And the other, other thing that makes it a little different is that we treat it like a franchise. I, I embrace servant leadership. I work for you. You go run. If you're going to the FBI account manager, you run. You tell me what you need in terms of engineering, finance, legal, contract managers, program management. And we give you those resources to run your business your way. Uh, and it's worked. And we've been able to scale. And it is yeah. our typical, you know, um, talent hunt is a year, year and a half. If you end up here, we know you, you know us. And you're the best at what you do, and you're just going to do it for us. I love it. You've got a reputation for it. You know, Tom, thank you so much um, for joining us. And, you know, quite frankly, for everything you've done for the United States and other countries, too. You've, got a, you've done some very unique things, and I can tell no matter what age you are, you're, uh, you're just getting started. Maybe to close out, um, you know, uh, we do some training of military leaders through the NACD, National Association of Corporate Directors, to help military leaders become corporate board members. And I always learn more from them in those sessions than when I'm teaching them. And um, what kind of bits of advice can you just give folks uh, as we leave? Just uh, kind of what, can, what did you learn from the battlefield that really helped you succeed immensely in business? Yeah, I, you know, I, and, and I do talk a lot about that same thing, like military lessons brought to business. I mean, I think the first one would be, you know, values and characters. If you think about the military, these people have a certain set of values, and that starts with, I'm serving my country. So for, you, for a company person, like, what is your mission? Who, what are you trying to go out and do and make sure that you are razor, razor focused at it? The teamwork element we've all learned about. I've already talked about the 11 principles of, of, of leadership. But I'm going to say something that any military person listening to this could finish this phrase as I started. Adapt, improvise, overcome. And that fits into our reboot. When the mission goes sideways or something happens you're not expecting, adapt, improvise, overcome. You stay focused on what your mission is. That is one of the things that I took from the military. When you talk to other military leaders, they always talk about that resilience and that grit to do whatever it takes to win and complete the mission. That's the advice that I would give to folks is have that grit, have that resilience, adapt, improvise, overcome. Great. I'm going to make that the title of this article and the podcast. Thank you, Tom. You've been listening to Tom Deerline on the Reboot Chronicles with Dean Tobias. We want to thank you for joining us today and we'll see you soon. Thank you, Dean.